0: This episode of the Global Franchise Podcast is brought to you by Unleashed Brands, the world's first youth enrichment franchise platform helping kids learn, play, and grow. For more information about the platform and franchise opportunities under Unleashed, head over to UnleashedBrands.com. Welcome to the Global Franchise Podcast, bringing you timely conversations with the industry's most accomplished leaders. I'm Victoria Yordanova, staff writer for Global Franchise magazine.
1: I have always believed, you know, the minute I discovered franchising was life-changing, that that it was the only opportunity that would have ever gotten me into business ownership. And when I discovered the model for myself, I thought, my gosh, I don't ever want to leave this. And so, growing a career in it, you you just see the opportunity that it creates for people who otherwise never would have have had the courage to invest in something like that, and they're building their personal wealth and taking a direction that's so different from a traditional career.
0: If COVID-19 taught us one thing, it's that activities that once felt indulgent became essential to our health and well-being. It's indeed our self-care mindset that has also helped the personal service sector to quickly rebound. According to the latest statistics, the global beauty industry market size is set to reach more than $570 billion in 2023. This shows that the beauty industry is not only surviving challenging economic times, but also thriving and growing. One brand that has successfully navigated the post-COVID landscape is Radiance Holdings. The company represents a collection of premier brands, including Solar Salon with over 600 locations across the US and Canada, Woodhouse, the first brand to scale a luxury spa into the franchise model, and Beauty Hive, an online distributor of professional beauty products. To find out more about the future of the beauty industry, we caught up with Christina Russell, CEO of Radiance Holdings, who played an instrumental role in the formation of the company. Christina has held top-level leadership roles in leading brands for over 20 years, including Pure Bar, Cam Bar Wow, and Curves International. From paving the way for other women in business to encouraging her team to fight their own prejudice and imposter syndrome, Christina opens up about the challenges female leaders face and how to encourage more women in business.
1: For for much of my career, I've been in franchising really, gosh, for the last 25 years And I had the good fortune to start out working in women's fitness. And uh, so I worked with Curves for about 15 years and learned franchising as a franchisee, and then grew up through that company. And making my journey through other brands, I, I really just fell in love with brands where females are the consumer. So, certainly in the pet industry the primary care uh, uh, customer really is the the woman in the household. So oftentimes they're making the decisions on childcare, pet care. Same thing with Pure Bar. And when I had the opportunity to step into beauty, it just felt like a natural fit.
0: And you've seen this firsthand, but how do you think the whole COVID pandemic has changed people's attitudes when it comes to beauty services and beauty treatments in general?
1: I I think it's made it more of a priority. I I think going through COVID, so much of it was about self-care. And when we think about the Radiance platform, we think about businesses that are in beauty and self-care more generally. And so that was sort of our question, you know, buying the Woodhouse spa in the middle of the pandemic. The question was, you know, okay, we're buying this chain of 65 franchise spas. What's going to happen, you know, at the other end of this? And what's happened is... Significant growth year over year every year, and you hear you know all of these uh, these things about recession and what's going on globally. But we've come out in January just like a rocket ship again, and so it shows us that that's what people are looking for. On on the solar side, I think what COVID made a lot of hairstylists realize is that independence is actually an alternative to what they were experiencing in traditional salons. And we really feel it's important to be a part of that ecosystem. So, you know, we we feel like the salons exist side by side with what we do in studios and suites. And we love that, but we think it really gave a a lot of those stylists some downtime to do some self-discovery.
0: And staying with COVID, uh, you joined Sola back in 2019 and you played a key role in the formation of Radiance Holdings and then the acquisition of Woodhouse. So what would you say uh, are the biggest lessons you learned while leading the brands out of the pandemic? And do you think, is there something else you would have done differently perhaps?
1: Gosh, I'd say coming out of COVID, the the biggest lesson in leading it out is trying to figure out how to get people's optimism back. And and you realize as a CEO, there's a lot of responsibility that you carry in terms of, you know, really understanding the the nuts and bolts of the business and, you know, the competitive landscape and all these other things. But I think what I discovered going through that is that another really important part of the role is to be the chief cheerleader and the chief optimist that gets everybody really focused on a future. I think if there's any learning, um, it was sort of the the happy good fortune that we had to just remain bullish through what was you know very bearish in terms of the overall you know landscape. A lot of businesses decided to pull back and uh, we you know took a gigantic risk in not doing that and moving forward with an acquisition that we had started in 2019, the launch of an e-commerce platform that we had visualized in 2019 and the standing up of the platform. And a lot of people thought we were nuts. And I, I think it, it sort of validated this sort of risk that we took. And I think if anything, it made me more bullish about that sort of thing. That It's like you can't just sit back on your laurels; You have to always have that, that faith that the market's going to come back.
0: And you said you took a big leap with the acquisition of Foodhouse. So have you also thought about expanding into Europe as well? Is this a possible next step?
1: Um, we we would love to do that, particularly on the solo side. We think that brand is ripe for it. And it was on our strategy board in January 2020. It was something that we were going to invest in and really look for the right developers to start um, getting our footprint overseas. Um, what ended up happening, obviously, during the pandemic is we all realized that's probably not the right time to do it. It was a little bit of a difficult time to, to take on that kind of expansion. So we did pull back on international expansion. Um, And then last year, um, as you probably know, we went through a sponsorship change. And uh, we have a new backer with TSG Consumer. And we are so excited to be working with them. But through that transition, it was also not a great time to really think about global expansion. But now that we have that new sponsor in place, it's highly likely that we're going to start considering that sort of thing going forward.
0: But you've come out the other side even stronger, and you have over six hundred locations when it comes to solar, and then with seventy five locations, Woodhouse is only growing. So, what makes Radiance Holdings' brands recession proof for potential investors?
1: Well, I, I think it's a few things. One is is just the the blessing of the sector that we are in, and so being in beauty and and self care. These are sectors that are just growing organically um, year over year over year, and all of the research, you know, shows that there's no end in sight for this. I think people have started to invest in this more deeply after COVID, particularly on the beauty side. We look at ourselves on Zoom all day. It's refreshing to be on a podcast where I don't have to look at myself, um, but you you become very aware of uh, you know hair, makeup, uh, skincare, the things that I think people want to invest in. But beyond that, it's really helpful to have the leading brands in our sectors. And so with Sola, I mean, we are well over 650 locations now, continuing to grow. We'll likely open more than 60 again this year across the U.S. and Canada. And we're growing rapidly in Canada, which is exciting. And then with the Woodhouse, um, same thing. There really is no one else of scale that is doing what we do in our space with luxury spas. We're, We're so different from the mass massage brands which hold their place in the market. But I think a lot of consumers are looking for something more, something more experiential, and it's really fueling the Woodhouse. So having those leadership positions, I think, gives you some security as you think about the, you know, the future and the growth and where we're going to be headed.
0: And you have previously described franchising in general as the embodiment of the American dream. And how is Radiance Holdings uh, helping people live this American dream? And how is it helping empower franchise owners?
1: Gosh, you know, I I have always believed, you know, the minute I discovered franchising, it was life changing, that that it was the only opportunity that would have ever gotten me into business ownership. And when I discovered the model for myself, I thought, my gosh, I don't ever want to leave this. And so growing a career in it, you, you just see the opportunity that it creates for people who otherwise never would have, have had the courage to invest in something like that. And they're building their personal wealth and taking a direction that's so different from a traditional career. Sola um, certainly does this for hairstylists. And so, you know, typically it it depends on the stylist, but you're somewhere in the ballpark of 15 to 30 percent more income than you made in a salon by being an independent and doing this for yourself. And so it sort of fueled me going through Sola and thinking about these beauty professionals who are traditionally people that don't come from, you know, college bound sort of households. And they're looking for directions where they can you know, practice something that's more creative and still build wealth around that. So seeing that happen was really exciting. Same in luxury spa, seeing massage therapists that discover um, that when you work in luxury, you actually make more, um, certainly on base oftentimes on uh, benefits, but beyond that, just on the sheer tips on a larger ticket. And so it's creating those opportunities on multiple levels. When, when I think about going into other modalities of beauty, It excites me because we have the opportunity to really emphasize beauty as a career path for so many young uh, women and men that I don't think ever would have considered it before.
0: And it was interesting, really interesting to find out that Solo alone uh, supports more than 18,000 independent beauty professionals, and 90% of those people are women. So how important is inclusivity when it comes to Radiance Holding success?
1: It is. I would say Sola is the embodiment of it and it happens organically. And uh, we, we joked one time that we look like America. You, you go into any Sola and it's very reflective of the diversity of that market. And so, you know, it, it, uh, it just happens on its own. So when we curate our faces of Sola, who are the brand ambassadors who really help us to communicate out to the stylist community at large about the opportunity of independence, we curate that. We look for all of the different life stories, young and old, men and women, all different aspects of experience, and uh, you know, from every kind of background, every ethnicity. But it's not something that we really have to work hard for. I think a lot of businesses that are really trying to figure this inclusivity out. Um, that haven't had it happen organically or struggling a bit with this, but I, I think certainly salon Suites generally, but Sola specifically has done a phenomenal job. And I'll just say our number now is over twenty thousand stylists. We're so proud of that. And so we just grow and grow and grow every year. Hard to keep up with the numbers, but it's just incredible to think about what that looks like.
0: Oh, that's great news. So uh, would you say inclusivity is a huge part uh, of the of the brand success and a huge part in what helps you beat the competitors?
1: You know, I, I like to believe that the beauty industry generally um, has this level of inclusivity. And so, you know, I, I feel like this is an area where I'd love to say, gosh, we beat the competitors. But I, I really want to say that I think we all in the sweet sector really value this. We really value giving these opportunities regardless. And I think uh, it's fun to be a part of something like that. I see it in spa as well. It's just naturally diverse and franchising as well. I mean, I'm in a, a, you know, a, a business group that you know as a CEO, you find yourself largely still surrounded by men in this era, despite everyone's efforts to bring more women into it. But you go to franchising events and you see everyone, you, you see everyone represented there in leadership roles. And I think it's because of that entrepreneurial spirit.
0: This is something uh, I wanted us to touch on as well. Uh, Being a woman in business, you have recently been appointed uh, to the uh, IFA board of directors. So what would you say is the main challenge female leaders are facing today?
1: You know, it's funny, living through a career in all of this and going through sort of the, the end times of the era when it was hardest for women into an era where it was much more welcoming of women. I think today, probably the biggest barrier we actually have is overcoming our own sort of uh, imposter syndromes, and uh, you know, sort of I shoulds or I shouldn'ts. And I see this so often that you know we we sponsor women to grow in leadership. But when they have children and build families, oftentimes they think about this differently. And so I've really, you know, as somebody who also is a recent mother, I have a seven-year-old, so I had a, a daughter relatively young, uh, old, and uh, and uh, I was deep into my career when I did it, and it wasn't planned. And so I had to figure all that out. So now when I meet young women who are thinking about families and feel as if they have to choose between becoming a mother or becoming, you know, an executive, I tell them it really isn't the case. And so if for lack of a better word, it's like think like a dude, you know, you got to you got to think like a like anybody would about how do you balance that, not about how you choose between it. And I think what women really need is other mentors, you know, primarily women mentors who've been through it to give them that confidence and that validation that. There's nothing wrong with that. And in fact, it sets an example for the next generation about you know the, the sort of breaking down of those definitions of what women are supposed to do.
0: Definitely, I think women can have it all and it doesn't have to come down to choosing between being a mother and being uh, an executive. And uh, if you don't mind me asking, what is the biggest uh, challenge you have faced for uh, being a woman in business? And have you ever been... Uh, Face discrimination for being a woman in business, and how did you
1: overcome this? I would say that in my career, it's been fortunate because I, it's been subtle, and uh, some of that I think is my personality. I just don't tolerate it very much so if i if I the detected it, it's sort of like yeah that that feels that feels like like pain i'm I'm going a different direction and finding people who welcome me but in in the times that I have experienced it, where I realized that perhaps. I've got to break through. I've got to figure out how to work with, you know, folks that don't quite respect me the way I want to. I think it's almost just staying in it. And I remember that I would, the most difficult part of my career where I was dealing with that, it was a, a boardroom full of men and they really all had their club. They would sit on the balcony and smoke cigars. You know, that was how they sort of decompressed. And they would you know, take motorcycle trips, and that was sort of their you know, way of doing the executive team retreat. And you're invited, but you're clearly not included. And at the same time, I was marathon training, and I remember when I would do my runs and I would get to the hard part of my runs, there was a saying you hear from other runners that you just stay in it, just stay in it, and you get through that hard part. And as I did that, I started building respect, and I felt them start to break down those barriers and them think about it, that it's like, Oh, well, we were going to do this, but we've got to do something that's inclusive of Christina. And I, I felt like it was my way of saying, you know, respect them, that they're not doing this out of malice. They're doing this out of habit. And I think there's a lot of, you know, leadership teams that are trying to figure that out. How do we change our habits to be more inclusive? How do we change maybe the way we recreate or the way we, you know, talk in those meetings or what we value in those meetings that makes people feel more welcome to it. And, and I don't know. I guess I'm a bit proud of that, that I was able to stay in it and get through that. And some of those relationships um, with folks from that team, I still have and I still really value. And I, I think it was uh, as much uh, about me giving them the grace to make change as it was at the, as, as them being willing to make change that actually got us to the other side of that. And I think that's uh, the world needs more of that, less conflict and more, more effort to lean in.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you very much for this answer. I'm sure our listeners will find this really inspiring. But uh, if you think about it, if there was one prejudice you could probably change when it comes to business in women, what would you
1: change? You know, I I think it's the notion of how we parent. And I, I think that is the biggest difference. And so, you know, oftentimes even managing through things like other women's maternity leave, I was always very gracious about it, you know, woman to woman, even though I wasn't a mother. But after I became a mother and I understood it, I understood it not just through the lens of what women go through, but also what men go through. And so often I think women make the decision to give up their careers, but men make the decision to withdraw from their families. And so when we put in our, um, our maternity leave policy for Radiance we put in a very inclusive policy that wasn't just about maternity leave. It was about a paternity leave and partner leave because we wanted to, to really uh, overcome that bias that somehow women are supposed to give up their careers and men are supposed to give up their kids. I just think it's a bunch of bunk and that we should all figure out how to find that balance. And
0: how do you think the industry can encourage more female leaders
1: Mentorship and sponsorship. I, I think you have to watch for it. And so I, one of the things that I did uh, that I think you know made, made my executive team a little nervous, I talked to the young leaders in our company. So we do leadership team meetings separate from our all hands, all of the middle management. And I talked to them about imposter syndrome. And I talked to them about how important it is to advocate for yourself, even on things like salary. And so here I am as a leader, knowing that they're going to come push me on salary but the reason for this is I've seen it again and again. I'll, I'll hire you know, high-level roles, and the men will negotiate hard on their salary, they will ask for equity, they will talk about bonuses, um, they will think about all these, they will ask for an extra week of vacation. And the women will not do that. It, it, by and large, they don't negotiate at all. And so I think we as leaders have to be cognizant of that because you know it's nice as a leader when that somebody doesn't negotiate hard and you're like, oh great, we got to steal. But it's not good when you start to see uh, the, the sort of uh, differences that end up showing up long term in people's salaries and outcomes. And so you have to sponsor that. You have to say to the young women in the company, you didn't advocate, so I'm advocating for you. But next time you do this, whether it's here or somewhere else, you need to stand up and ask for what you're worth. And I think the more we do that, the more we, we sort of level out that playing field by sponsoring people who don't feel comfortable. I imagine that, that it's similar in, in, you know, anyone who's coming into a workplace that feels like they're, they're different. And so that sort of idea of diversity, if you're walking into a company and you feel like, gosh, I've got my foot in the door, but maybe I'm not going to be accepted. You're, uh, you're more reticent about that kind of negotiation. But I think we, as leaders, have to sponsor everyone to say, ask for what you're worth, and then we have to be responsible to make sure that we're looking at equity and pay and packages and all of those sorts of things as well, so that if they don't do it, we, we really take those steps on people's behalves.
0: Think like a dude was something that really stuck with me. <laughs> so uh, do you have another piece of advice uh, to succeed as a leader?
1: Um, You know, I I would just say, follow your bliss is an old school saying, and people get tired of these old school sayings. But as I navigated my career, I had a friend, um, a good friend from franchising who told me, you need to understand your non-negotiables. And when she first told me that, I didn't really know what she meant. But as she, you know, really kind of talked me through it, she said, decide where you want to live before you even take the interview. Decide what sectors you want to work in before you even take the interview. Decide what work life balance is going to look like for you. Before you even take the interview and then, you know, to say no to the job that's up in Minneapolis because you don't want to live in the snow (laughs) or to say no to the job in food service, even if the salary is really attractive because you don't want to work in food. I love working in service, but I think each of us individually has to, to sort of know ourselves so we know where our bliss lies. And I think if there's any hard journey in life, it's the hard journey of studying yourself to figure that out, because oftentimes we chase the money to our own detriment. And if we chase the bliss, oftentimes the money will follow.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Christina. This was really inspiring. And it leads me to my final question. Uh, What is the future for Radiance Holdings and Women in Business?
1: Oh, gosh. I would say for Radiance, the sky is the limit. We are so excited about our new partnership with TSG. Um, We will be in acquisition mode looking to fill out our portfolio of brands with other brands in beauty and uh, in self-care. And I would just say for women generally, you know, we have a, a team that's very diverse, but obviously is very well represented with women being in beauty. And I just feel like we have such an opportunity to spread the joy. I mean, that's our motto. Joy through beauty is our, is our tagline. And we just feel like spreading the joy of really, you know, creating these opportunities and creating an incredible team that shares those values is, is going to be a really fun thing going forward.
0: Thank you very much, Christina, and thank you very much for joining us on the Global Franchise Podcast, and we look forward to what's next for Radiance Holdings.
1: Thanks so much, Victoria.
0: One of the key takeaways from our conversation with Christina is that sometimes we're each our own worst critic. The future of women in business seems brighter than ever, but what female leaders need is mentorship and motivation. It was really insightful to find out how Christina managed to just stay in it, break the barriers and earn the trust and respect of her fellow male executives. She's convinced that both men and women shouldn't have to choose between their job and their family, something that is also reflected in Radiance Holdings' parental leave policy. We'd be interested to hear more from you. How do you think we can encourage more female leaders in business and help them fight imposter syndrome? Make sure to let us know.
1: If you like the podcast, subscribe and recommend it to your friends and colleagues. Or even better, leave a review or a simple rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your pods. To keep up to date with franchise news and have it put into context by the global franchise experts, subscribe to the magazine, hit us up at globalfranchisemagazine.com and follow us on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn today.